Are you a fan of the small ball? I'm not as dramatic, you know, as Jim. Dramatic? You sound like my wife, no. Jealous of all the inside analysis and crack on the football pod? Well, we've got you covered with the Hurling Pod. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, bang on half seven. You're very welcome along. It's Tuesday morning. It's OTBAM. It's Jarn Owen with you all the way through until 10 a.m. Let's be having you. You can get us on our YouTube stream. Hopefully you've already subscribed to youtube.com forward slash off the ball. If you haven't, press the button now. Uh, you can also tweet us at off the ball AM or whatever, however you want to get in touch with us. You know the, you know the drill by this stage. Owen, good morning to you. Good morning, Jarn. It's um, it's Matt Doherty's world, and Seamus Coleman is just living in it at the moment. Mm. What um, that was a grimace for is, radio listeners. Is, is he looking across and going, oh, you, "You weren't playing great for a while, and so I can also make a recovery from this." Uh, you, you think Coleman is looking Envious at Matt Doherty? Looking at Matt Doherty, going like four weeks ago, we thought you were getting burned out of that club, and now, yeah, now you're Harry Kane's creator in chief. Yeah, uh, there's obviously one complication in that argument, and that is Coleman's age, isn't it? Uh, Doherty was not always likely to make a comeback. I didn't think that many people thought that the comeback was going to happen at Tottenham. Definitely not. Um, and also as well, you're looking at Matt Doherty, who is 30 years of age now himself. So uh, there was a, a chance that maybe he could have also been going through a, a sort of a downturn. But I think last It sounded last like night, they were trying to offload him in the transfer window. It sounded like he was part of that group of four who they did get rid of and they would have been happy to add him to it and Conte would have whined about it afterwards but been like well no big deal but actually what's happened is he is part of the he is a symbol of the reflowering of the Antonio Conte era yeah yeah and I think what it probably speaks to is behind the scenes that Matt Doherty can take what Antonio Conte is throwing at him because even not behind the scenes when Antonio Conte is in front of a microphone and talking about his team he hasn't really pulled any punches even last night he was saying that we must get better after winning a game 5-0 like he is a very very tough taskmaster and Matt Doherty's been able to handle it he's been somebody that he's been trusted uh, to do with a job obviously pulled himself into midfield positions last night and looked like Kevin De Bruyne at times which was <laughs> just, just uh, not something that I think too many people would have seen coming because it is quite different to uh, how his peak materialised at Wolves when he was very much uh, a wide uh, player who wasn't cutting in as a, as a wing back with hugging the touchline getting crosses in and uh, was part of that all action game under Nuno this was much more calm and uh, methodical and showing just his, his technical capabilities as much as his uh, capabilities as an athlete. And when you've got Harry Kane as your target man up front... It helps. It, do, it does help, but you've also got a... Some of the goals Tottenham have scored recently have been spectacular. And like, they, they really are, when they're on it, they're, they look sensational at the moment. You still feel that there is a, a chance of them slipping up in various fixtures. Obviously, this Saturday for them is a massive game. It's half past five uh, themselves against Manchester United. So that's going to be... Um, uh, sort of who has had the biggest slip this season you'd have to say Manchester United uh, really are, are the ones who'd be vulnerable in that fixture but it's Tottenham uh, which I'm sure will be part of the build up well I mean yeah they, Ralph Ranick won't be walking in going lads it's Tottenham he'll be like <laughs> <laughs> definitely they'll be like oh yeah shit they're going to beat us aren't they um, Michael Keane's finish was the best of the, of the oh, lot though last night <laughs> it was like <clears throat> are we more sensitive to the mention of Seamus Coleman in that seven minute surgical taking apart the carrier did afterwards because he, he actually he did also go to town on Keane who he talked about Harry Kane running past him mm. and Harry Kane not being a sprinter so Harry Kane's still pretty fast you know I'd say he would have I'd say he would have absolutely 
creamed Carragher in a sprint as well. Like, you know, just uh, bit of the, the pundits suddenly um, never having any flaws themselves is like, is, I just, I do wonder, so he, he obviously he took Coleman out, he took Keane out, took, he took all their defence out. Are we more sensitive to the fact that Coleman is, um, because he's our captain? Yes, of course we are. And, I mean, and, but did we did, like you know the, it was a systems failure I did think that like they were all terrible yeah like I mean Seamus Coleman one thing is that uh, he's he's definitely not not smart he's always been a very intelligent footballer his positioning has always been very good and last night he looked out of position quite a bit and uh, got caught with the ball going in he got caught in the overlap just multiple times uh, which if you're an ageing defender you probably don't let yourself get into that position a lot so I wonder if it was a tactical instruction but I, I do think that I mean if, if Frank Lampard wants to play a, a certain style of football uh, and Seamus Coleman isn't up to it as an athlete anymore to, to be able to produce that then he is going to be in trouble and that's the reality that's just the way this goes yeah. he is club captain though and yeah, and you, but you don't play the, the front two or front now three-ish that Spurs have every week like there's going to be a lot of games where he can play on the right side of a, a three and be fine, you know. Uh, yeah, there's a bit, bit more protection for him. Like I, I do think that uh, that this conversation has obviously happened quite a bit about Coleman, and um, just because he has proved people wrong in the past doesn't mean he's going to do it again, especially given how how things will go in your mid thirties. So uh, I, I think he's maybe. in his early thirties. He's only thirty three. Okay, yeah. You're going to learn this is important as time goes on. Yeah, no, it is. That, that's the that's that's fair cop. You're in your uh, late 20s now, are you? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, I mean, it does. Like, I mean, my pace was long gone. Uh, so, like, even if you're thinking about who would be the, the potential Irish op- options, it's kind of like one in, one out with uh, what Stephen Kenny's looking at with Omar Bamadeli out and Dara O'Shea in. And, um, like, O'Shea came, came into the team, but was out of the team again yeah so he was out I mean, last fi- week I mean in fitness wise yeah but just in, in terms of actually playing football at the moment yeah. he's not he's not first choice at the moment at club level yeah yeah which is a, a little bit of a concern and I mean they got beaten at the weekend so maybe he gets back in so we'll see we will see uh, like and uh, it's it's uh, I guess a, it's a different setup as well if you're going to have Coleman on, on the right of a three and and possibly um, somebody else on uh, at right wing back like I mean uh, Matt Hardy obviously has been excellent for Ireland at, at left wing back and I think it's probably shown last night that he is a bit more versatile in in that position just in front of your backline, whether it's a three or a or a four, that he can he can play in those uh, positions. Um, but for Everton, like I mean, it's it's such a worrying situation that they're in. Like a championship defence is obviously how Carragher de- described them last night, and they just desperately need to get Yerry Mina and Ben Godfrey back uh, ASAP and hope that they stay back and and get them through this situation. I think it's eight of their remaining games are at home, which is obviously the big thing. For a narrative perspective, would you rather Burnley stay up or Everton stay up? Burnley. From a narrative perspective, Everton going down would be extraordinary. And what would happen to the club then would be uh, very, very interesting. And um, whether or not they can use this as some sort of... I don't think like there isn't really a great example of a team who've gone down and come back up and used that as like a rocket ship unless they've got like Saudi investment. So um, and the, even that is yet to be confirmed just yet. But like I, I don't I can't see a world where everything going down would, would be good news for them even in the me- medium term. All right, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock. We're going to speak with Ali Donnelly about the Irish rugby situation. Gary Brennan is going to join us at ten past eight to talk about the merger between the LGFA, the Camogie Association and the GAA sports pages at half eight we'll talk with John Duggan about um, 
Spurs and Virtual Insanity. Pearl Slattery is going to join us at 8.40. The return of the WSL last week. Uh, she scored the winner for Shells to get their season up and running. We've got um, Phil Egan in at 10 past nine and Danny Mills and Pat Nevin talking Everton and Manchester United later on in the show. If you want to get in touch, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. But to the uh, report into the failure of the Irish women's team to qualify for the Rugby World Cup, I'm delighted to say Ali Donnelly is with us of Scrum Queens. Ali, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. So last Friday, the report dropped and uh, it's fair to say that it was generally positively received. Um, I did think a few things about it were were odd, which we might get to in a few minutes. But what was your, you've you've had a a weekend to digest this and you've written about this in the Examiner, five key takeaways. Um, On balance, you seem to think it was a a step forward, but it's perceived with caution, I think. Is is that fair assessment of your takeaways? Yeah, I, I, I think a cautious welcome is probably the right way to look at this. And, you know, if you looked, if you took some time to look through the recommendations, they were in some ways almost underwhelming in that they were so basic and so simple. And they're sort of the kind of things you would expect to already be up and running and well-established within a high-performance programme, which, you know, is supposed to be there to get the best out of players. So, you know, in some ways you could say, oh, actually, all they're doing are the nuts and bolts they should have been doing. But in another way, many of those things weren't happening. And so the fact that they are now, plus there's a commitment of, of you know, important new investment. Um, plus, I think the change in tone from the IRFU felt to me very important. I, I'm, you know, Kevin Potts struck a very um, conciliatory tone in the press conference that he did. And also you've seen the words that he, he issued. So I do think we can look forward fairly positively to a new era in the game there. Um, while also kind of watching on to make sure that all these things do happen. How how is an audit of that ongoing? Like one of the things that was was seems to have happened is that the the players have accepted that them the good faith rather of of the organisation has been accepted by the players. So who's going to keep a watching brief? Because when their players were at a bit of a remove or when they had the former players to be mouthpieces for them, that felt like there was at least going to be some kind of um, checks and balances in the system. How do we just make sure that this doesn't... It's not window dressing. The report isn't shelved. They go back to the old ways and everybody moves on with their lives. How does that... How do we prevent that happening? Yeah, well, I think that is what happened in 2017. So after the failure at the last World Cup to get out of their pool, you know, a whole new set of targets were published a year later, all of which I think almost all of them um, haven't been met because nobody really understood what lay behind that. How are you going to achieve that? What do the players know about where you're going? Whereas this time, I think you do have, um, they published a progress report alongside it so you could see, you know, what targets or what recommendations were already in train. And we had a promise from Kevin Potts that there would be an implementation plan published. There's also another review coming later this year, which is looking at the whole game. So presumably it's around, you know, how you get more women into grassroots, how you link those things up along a pathway. So I think this does feel a little different. Um, You know, yes, of course, like, you know, there are cynics and I've definitely been one of those in the past around the IRFU's ability to deliver for women and girls. Um, so I think we've got to keep hold of that. But I, I also think hopefully those four players who've been involved in the discussions and maybe joined by others can stay involved. They seem to have built a good relationship now with various people at Sport Ireland and government and at the IRFU. And, and I think it would be foolish to the IRFU not to use them as a 
you know, a kind of consultation group or a sounding board, etc. The the main sporting bodies, and I'm talking about the big three, the FAI, the GA, and the IRFU, always like to keep Sport Ireland at as uh, at least an arm's length remove and even further if possible. They'll take the, the funding and they'll make sure that that happens, but they don't want any interference or any sense of like, what, what do you, why are you, this is none of your business, this is our organisation. Um, and yet it feels like Sport Ireland through the, are the, essentially the mouthpiece for the government, and the government have been very strong on uh, female representation on committees and all that kind of stuff. So it feels like the IRFU really, really need the women's game to take off. They need the influx of female coaches, administrators and extra players who they can, you know, generate revenue from and sell tickets to and sell merchandise for. And the penny, that penny hasn't quite dropped. It certainly hasn't dropped with the other organisations too. And we're going to talk about the, the merger in the GAA in about 20 minutes. But why is that, do you think, Ali? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think on the first bit around the influence and the importance of Sport Ireland ministers, you know, the players wrote the letter to the ministers for a reason. You know, they felt that they tried to make change internally for years and nothing was happening. So they knew that, you know, going almost over the head of the IRFU, which is essentially what that was, and, you know, getting some public pressure via TVs and so on in, in in government around funding would help. Um, I think in terms of women's rugby, like I can't speak for the other sports there, but there, the penny has dropped in other countries, and, and and the penny is that you know the dropping is that understanding that if you're a national governing body, you know part of your job, among many others, and I don't think NGB have it easy to be honest, um, but part of your job is to recruit players into your sport, and the most kind of single most important strategic area of participation growth in almost every country, particularly the established nations, is women. And I think you know I'm I'm talking to you in London, and I you know for all their flaws, I know the RFU over the years. Um, they have now understood that a bit quicker than Ireland, and they've put, you know, they've made women, women and girls rugby um, a strategic priority. And you can see the difference here. Now they always have an inbuilt advantage in terms of numbers here, um, but the penny hasn't dropped amongst everybody involved in women's rugby or rugby in Ireland. It might now have at the at the top of the game, um, but you know, Kevin Potts has got a hard job. He's got to almost bring his whole organisation and all the volunteers around the game with him and say. You know, we need the growth of, of women and girls rugby because one of my jobs is to make sure the games in route health at grassroots level and all the numbers, all the big numbers are coming from this part of the game. And then the other end of it, just to finish off, is there's a massive opportunity in terms of longer term return on your investment. So, you know, where are the new TV deals being struck and where are we likely to get more and different sponsorship investment? Well, that's a women's game at the highest level. So, you know, organisations would be foolish to ignore that, I think, in the long run. Obviously, the full details of the report haven't been published, but if you look at the recommendations, you can probably read between the lines as to what was included in the report. And some of the things here, like just really uh, going through just some random uh, episodes within this, create and constantly monitor a value-driven culture and environment based on performance, learning and enjoyment is one of the recommendations. Another one uh, is put deliberate attention on the fitness, strength and conditioning of front five players in the system. I think what that suggests is that that hadn't been done and that was recommended within the report or mentioned within the report. And I think some of those details uh, may actually be shocking to people if that report was ever brought to light about some of the things that weren't being done within the system. Definitely. And I think the thing to say, if you're not a women's rugby kind of follower, is that the women's game has moved on massively uh, since the last World Cup. And Ireland have stood still. And if those things were missing, I'm sure some of them, some of those were there and some guys but not clearly at the level they should have been otherwise Amanda Ben and her team wouldn't have felt the need to black and white put them in there um, then they were going to fall behind I mean if you look at Scotland who are the team I guess who leapfrogged Ireland and, and secured that last place at the World Cup later this year they did a quite innovative thing a few years back and they gave a bunch of players what they call 2021 contracts 
which were, you know, that's in contracts for not the be all and end all, but they identified we need to do something different here to try and qualify for the next World Cup. And we need to put in place some, you know, interesting high performance ideas um, to do that. And, you know, that wasn't, that sort of thinking wasn't happening there. Um, and it's going to have to change because there's only a three year window now to the next World Cup. I don't know what the qualification path's going to look like, but Ireland are going to have to be at that World Cup. It looks like it's going to be here in England. Um, and so there's not much of a window now for error and, and they've got to try and play catch up even with nations that they would expect to normally beat the Scotland, Wales, Michelin's of this world. Um, so be really interesting Six Nations this year just for that perspective alone. One of the um, other things, we, we had Hannah Terrell on the show yesterday and she was talking about her decision to step away was like, uh, she was always going to stop away at the end of the last World Cup, but just talking about the difficulty that some of the players have in mixing the um, career path that they want with outside of rugby with the career path inside rugby and how difficult it is to juggle those that that is going to be an issue for the IRFU. Is that where the extra million needs to go in the short term, or is the extra million actually better spent on coaches and pathways to make sure that the long term we produce players who are ready for the international game and hope that the sponsorship catches up and that pays the players? I, I, it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. I'm interested in your view on that, given your proximity to what's going on in England and you kind of have a, a good sense of what's happening in the other unions as well. Yeah, I don't think you can put contracts in place without the nuts and bolts um, underneath it. And, and I think there's some people who are quite concerned in Wales where there are a lot of, um, you know, um, structures and processes missing around the pathways and the grassroots and they've kind of come in over the top of that and handed players contracts. And that's going to be an interesting kind of story to watch. I, I think inevitably, if you want to keep up and you want to win things and you want to be in the sort of back in the top four in the world, which Ireland were once in, of course, you are going to have to at some point bite the bullet and look at contracts. Now, they may be hybrid contracts, which are, a balance between sort of paying your players on a part-time basis, allowing them to continue with their careers, or full-time as England have gone. Because you know, even since 2017, more and more countries are looking at this. New Zealand have gone fully pro this year, um, which if you if you've been following the game for a long time, the NZ or have, have traditionally not invested significantly in their national team. They used to just win anyway. So that's a big move. France are obviously paying players. Scotland has started to do. Wales has started to do it. So eventually you're going to have to look at that and, and probably go down that path because it's going to be too hard to keep up and you're going to be competing in second tier um, rugby. And if you know if that's acceptable, fine. If it's not, and I suspect it isn't for Ireland, um, that's something they're going to have to look at. But the other bits of the jigsaw have to be in place first. It does seem that the IRFU maybe have been caught by surprise with how quickly the game has accelerated. Yeah, and if you know if you're not taking the time to look around you and to explore what's happening in other countries and and really kind of you know ha- have the insight and knowledge about how to make high performance sport work for women, then that's what's going to happen. And I think it's clear from these recommendations that all of those things weren't happening, <laughs> and so it's, it can't be a surprise really that they've fallen behind um, other countries. And and I think it's important that therefore that Kevin was the front of all of this. I think he clearly understood that. You know, I as the chief executive have to lead this and own it because the trickle down effect of that is massive. And and hopefully, you know, we do start to see that sort of change creeping in over the next year or so. Uh, you did make the point that um, he, he it does sound like the IRFU are a new voice on this. I am definitely cynical about the fact that somebody who was so centrally involved in the operations of the IRFU is now fronting this and I hope that it's a change but um, you know it's not somebody who has come in from the outside and immediately diagnosed problems. It's somebody who's, who's been there the whole time 
and yeah. who was the chief operations officer. And so, you know, would have should have known about this and should in the past have been able to influence the outcome. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I think we definitely need to keep a, a close eye on this. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point because it's inconceivable that he would not have been aware of some of the challenges around the programme and he might not have been as in-depth involved as, as others in the senior leadership team there. Um, but curiosity alone, I think, would um, dictate that you would understand the problem. So I think that's fair enough. But I do think you have to take what they announced last week at some face value. And, you know, I've spoken to a lot of the players and they, they were pretty impressed with him um, and the way that he conducted himself and the commitment that he's shown. So, you know, all, all you can do there is sort of say, well, if they're happy, then, you know, let's move forward with some positivity. And I think, you know, Fiona Copeland said it herself on television the other night, we've got to start looking forward. We spend a lot of time looking backwards in the Irish women's game and, and sort of, you know, becoming annoyed and angry at what hasn't happened. And um, yeah, I think it's up to everyone involved in the game, stakeholders and the media included in that, to continue to hold um, you know, the RFU to account and hold their feet to the fire on whether they actually deliver what oh. they said they would. One last point on this then. Um, the the actual high performance director of the RFU wasn't part of the press conference announcing this, which, which did feel strange as well. So maybe a divorce between um, David Yusufor's responsibility and whoever is coming in to, to run the women's game isn't necessarily a bad thing. And, and maybe having separate performance directors for the men's and women's game is the direction this needs to go. I'm just not sure about why the high performance director wasn't there to discuss the high performance or the, the failings in the high performance unit with respect to the women's team. Yeah, I think that's a fair point too. <laughs> I suspect the CEO felt that, you know, for this to be seen as real serious change that he needed to front it. But I do think whoever is kind of running the women's game on a day-to-day and whoever they report into have got to believe in all the things that we've just talked about so that it is a strategic area of priority. I don't know uh, David and I don't know his position on all of this, but you know, he certainly has to buy into this or it won't work. What was your read on the timing of the Anthony Eddy uh, departure? I honestly, you know, not involved enough behind the scenes to hazard a guess at what actually happened there. But, you know, I, I think his position in the Irish Women 15s programme was un, untenable um, and inevitable that he would have moved on from that. Looks like he's decided to to leave himself. Um, look, my understanding of, of Anthony is that he's, he's a fantastic coach um, and perhaps, you know, was given far too big a job and inevitably focused on one area. And sevens over 15s probably looks to me like what he decided to do. Um, you know, they've got a, you know, they've got people in there now who are given the right time and resources to do the job properly. And hopefully that's what we're going to see. Ali, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thank you. You should check out scrumqueens.com for more on women's rugby. That's Ali Donnelly who founded Scrum Queens. OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And Mark says, good morning, lads. I lasted about 20 minutes of that Spurs versus Everton game last night. If Everton managed to find three teams worse than them in the league this season, they will completely have looked out. Sometimes you need to be a lucky manager as opposed to a good manager and there's no evidence yet that Frank Lampard is a good manager. Uh, No. uh, Like, are we going to revise the everything are too good to go down um, theory at this point? Like, I mean, if you you come back to what Carragher was saying last night... I didn't think they were too good to go down. Like, we're all... He's saying Dominic Calvert-Lewin's up front. When was Dominic Calvert-Lewin... Good. But, but, it's been I a mean, while. Uh, like last season, but I, I mean, I was just about to say, like he's saying that the it's the championship level defence that's costing them. And I mean, when you lose five 0 of course, that's uh, it, it's he's not wrong. But I wonder if that attack is getting off with a little bit of a lack of criticism itself, because like it, like Calvert Lewin was amazing last year. And I he, ever heard John in the office, John Duggan in the office saying zero shots on target last night. Yeah, uh, like 
but Calvert-Lewin hasn't come back from his injury troubles anywhere near the player that he looked last uh, last season and um, it's potentially got, a one season wonder like possibly but also you've got a very limited window between now and the end of the season like this is in August like the, the the form lines have been kind of etched out pretty clearly at this point and for Calvert-Lewin to come good at this point he's going to have to do it very very quickly the same with Richarlison at this point who like I mean has been an excellent player Nathan, don't get Nathan's, me wrong Nathan's buddy like I mean, in the build-up to this game, like he'd been telling us that he informed Frank Lampard that centre forward is now his preferred position. He scored four goals in the Premier League this season, I think. So it's, uh, I think that night against Arsenal, maybe been he was offside uh, a couple of times, was possibly his best showing for for Everton this season. I just, I, I like, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that that attack is is all it's cracked up to be. But then again, it's not cracked up to be much. It's just not a championship level attack. Maybe it's just a championship level defence. Uh, and then of course you've got the uh, enigma in midfield of, of someone like Danny van der Beek, who's getting paid handsomely by the club. Of course, who took on a lot of the the wages uh, of, of van der Beek, all his wages. Uh, sorry, I should say. Are we sure about that? Are we sure Man United didn't say here we'll pay half? Are we sure? Well, I, I like. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'd love to see the actual when Football Leaks publishes the documents. We we, we will find out what uh, what actually happened here on the situation. Like, uh, I, I mean, I, just kind of on a tangent to, to last night a little bit. You've got to admire like how headstrong Antonio Conte is at times. Like, and uh, sometimes you can say stuff before a game, and you're like, why? Why would I even say that? Because that could just come back to bite me in the ass. And he was obviously asked about uh, like Deli Ali, and he said, I don't remember a player that when he went away came back with a great spirit of revenge. During my coaching, I always try to be honest with the players and give them the possibility to show them that they deserve to play. I don't remember a player that had their revenge with me. What usually happens is that when players went away, they went down, not up. And I mean. Antonio Conte is uh, like I mean, he would think that maybe he would have been uh, jinxing himself in a in a negative sense uh, at that point. But um, yeah, he came off the bench uh, yesterday. Deli Ali's not uh, not starting at the moment for them, and I think Frank Lampard's still trying to work out what his best eleven is. But as I say, it's the eighth of March. Like I mean, he's got to figure this thing out very very quickly. Like you'd suspect that their goodest in form maybe the thing that keeps them up, and they do have a lot of um, games at home coming up, like Wolves and Newcastle at home, I think, are their, are their next two fixtures, so we'll know a lot more after the end of those two games. Calvert-Lewin started the season really well, scored three goals in three games back in August, Yeah, back in August 2021, Yeah, hasn't scored since. Obviously fractured his toe, and then has been back since middle of, start of January, played against Brighton, played 90 minutes, the game against Leicester was cancelled, played against Norwich, played against Villa, was on the bench against Newcastle not used played most of the game against Leeds played against Southampton wasn't in the squad against City doesn't say he was injured played against Spurs zero goals yeah you'd have to be concerned looking at that like it's like he has I'm not obviously he is a function of what's going on around him and the team are not creating chances and blah 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 blah. but like you know he, he ain't Alan Shearer you know this isn't he was good last season. He, like, We've seen strikers have good seasons. Yeah, no, but he was. He was. I do remember, like the year before, when when Duncan Ferguson had, had taken over for a while. That's when he'd started to sparkle. And I still think he got like a, a dozen or so Premier League goals that season. Then he like notched it up to fifteen, sixteen Premier League goals last season. So there was 
there was a nice layering on of Calvert-Lewin where it was like this guy can now target 20 Premier League goals and maybe this is a guy that Manchester United or something could be thinking about signing because he's going to be English first of all and he's going to be one of the, the foremost number nines in the in the league potentially on, on that tier below Harry Kane not anywhere on that same level but on, on a tier below him so an, an effective top half Premier League player and uh, this this season obviously has just been a real disappointment One more point about the, the Carragher rant right which we have been focused almost exclusively on what he said about James Coleman and he might be right we're not sure this is not you know it's not great for our prospects but it was like um, oh I thought they were going to stay up because the fans immediately backed and had faith in Frank Lampard it's like hmm the wisdom of the fans is not always the thing that you want the fans picking the manager isn't really they needed to pick the best manager yeah not the most popular manager no because it's not a popularity contest right now it is a football contest and the best football managers, Sean Dice's, it's, Sean, it's, a, it's a, a human celebrity death match between Sean Dice and Frank Lampard. Who's winning that fight? Uh, well, like I mean, it's, you've got... Uh, Top off, <laughs> oiled up, who's winning the fight? I, I, like, I, I wish it were that simple. I wish, I wish it was just an oiled up fight between those two people, but it's not, obviously. You've got it is now, metaphorically. It's the team... But it's not. Hume I mean, Leeds, Leeds and Brentford. Leeds and Brentford are absolutely. It's a, it's a it's a four way at this point. It's ma- so they Marsh might both Madness. stay up. You mean? Yeah, and um, God, you got an oiled up Thomas Frank and Jesse Marsh coming into the whole situation. And as after well. he's killed those two, it's it's down to right Lampard. It's you and me. Yeah, well, if he kills with those two, then it could be Brentford or Leeds who go down. Like, I mean, Brentford obviously got that win at the weekend. That was huge. And uh, Leeds didn't. So they're still hugely vulnerable. Everton have two games in hand on Leeds, and they're only one point behind them. Uh, yeah, two games in hand to get beaten 5-0 and 5-0. <laughs> for the new damage to their goal difference. The next two games are at home. I'm, I'm, like, I mean, again, making predictions is stupid based on that team's getting relegated because they will let you down invariably. But I would back Everton to stay up. I, I I would if I had to guess. I think Everton is staying up. Okay, I'll I'll bet you a fancy breakfast they won't. hundred percent of Kenny Cunningham's choosing. Yeah, Kenny gets the pick wherever. You actually going. think you think Everton are going down? I think it's very difficult to recover from stuff like this. There's like yeah, a of it's like a tailspin. Train to the ground. He still does have this kind of like intangible credit in the bank, where it's does like he? you know, it's uh, does he? Yeah, because <laughs> for what he can still say, you know, we're we're still trying to figure out these problems here. You know, this this Rubik's Cube has been scrambled by the previous manager and uh, I'm just trying to... And I brought Van de Beek and Deli Alley in as the cavalry to rescue me. And when I when I had the opportunity to play Deli Alley in a game that he might be completely motivated for, mm. didn't pick him. Do you think that the uh, Everton fan who uh, scribbled Pereira out, Lampard in, on the wall regrets his decision now? I think so. I think, well, I, I, I think there's... I think he's like... No, it's going to come good. But there's no way that... um, There's no way that they would ever have allowed themselves... He could have saved them from relegation by now by winning every game since he arrived and they'd still be like, ah, Frank Lampard would have won it better. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. Like, I mean, I I still still think Lampard has, has enough there to get them out of this very sticky situation it doesn't it doesn't look good it doesn't like I mean last night was, was pretty stark to be honest but Spur, Spurs are a very good team and when they've looked good recently they've they've looked excellent they've like in, in attack in particular and like as I say I think it, it is just a real concern how everything just couldn't lay a glove on them attacking wise themselves to even at least make it like a 5-1 or a 5-2 or something a little bit less embarrassing than a 5-0 um, somebody says talk about Arsenal somebody just says talk about Arsenal that's it 
Like you must be excited, one hundred percent. Like uh, you, you do look at this Saturday's fixture between Manchester United and Spurs, and you kind of hope that Manchester United win the fixture or that it's a draw. That Spurs are looking a bit of a threat at the moment. I know Arsenal have to play both of them, uh, and they have to play Liverpool midweek next week. So I think that there will be like a, a good sense of, of of where Arsenal are at after after that. But right now, Arteta knows his team. They're playing a really good style of football, and if they're Arsenal grinding get, out results. If Arsenal get beaten three 0 by Liverpool, that's not like a wake up call or a reality check or anything like that. That's that's where those two teams are. One of the best teams in the world, playing with all of their available players and uh, festooned with Champions League and league winners, versus a team of kids who are coming. Mm. That should be three 0 if you're actually going out and trying to express yourself, as opposed to, oh, we're going to put eight men behind the ball and park the bus because that's not what the team needs at this stage of their development. No. They need to go out and learn toe-to-toe because you can you can develop park the bus mentality like in a, in a two-legged tie in a knockout in European football fine, right? And maybe, maybe he does that because he feels that's a, an important way to go about it but it'll be much better to see them go out and try and be themselves now at this, at this stage of evolution in their in the because they've been able to react quite well to those defeats this season. Well, I was just about to say, I'm not sure they have. Like, I, I think that the the one against Manchester City on New Year's Day was a particularly chastening one. Obviously, the the red cards, um, the celebration from Roger right in front of the Arsenal fans, that one really stuck in the craw and it felt like a little bit of a setback and the question was how they respond. They got knocked out in the cup the next week by by Forrest. They had that nil-all draw with Burnley at the end of that month and then they had uh, the defeat to to Liverpool over two legs in the EFL Cup and January was just a little bit of a write-off. They managed to get the Spurs game postponed within January which may prove to be one of the smartest things they managed to do all season if it manages to come back and, and Arsenal get something from that game because I think in that moment I think Arsenal might might have lost that uh, North London derby, but uh, they managed to to kick that back a little bit. And uh, in the middle of that January wreckage, they didn't lose as many games as they possibly could have. So I'm not sure they actually did uh, handle the setback of the Manchester City game as well as you think. But what did happen was kind of out of the blue. Then they kind of ground out that that result at Molyneux, um, and the same with the, with the Brentford and the return game a, a, against Wolves. And then all of a sudden. On Sunday, they actually put in one of their better performances recently where they're like, OK, we're confident again. And that's what a young team kind of needs, where it's like, oh, we played badly there for the last little while and we got three points in three games in a row. We're actually quite good at this thing. We're actually very, very good at football. And all of a sudden, you've got like Saka looking at Odegaard. And like, I mean, are, are these players completely uh, unaware of, you know, the, the career path of certain players? Like, do you think Arsenal players looked at Odegaard and thought to themselves, we're not sure if this guy is actually the wonder kid he was supposed to be a couple of years ago? And actually, he's just proven to his teammates over the course of this season pretty that he actually is a, a fairly special player. And I think Arsenal's done an incredible piece of business getting him in. Um, and oh, it's like, it is rosy in the garden. There's no getting away from it. But it will be a hell of a conclusion now they manage to get top four because all of a sudden those kids are looking around saying we've 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 reached a, a very good staging point here. Spurs are a threat. Yeah, <clears throat> they are after last night, um, and all of a sudden that race for fourth is going to be one of the most compelling things that we have to look forward to for the rest of the season. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to take a quick break. We're back talking about the potential GA merger and plenty more besides. If you've got a view and you want to get it off your chest this morning. Leave a comment on the YouTube stream or tweet us at Off the Ball AM. You can use the hashtag OTBAM either. Back after this. OTB AM. Yeah, you're welcome back to OTBAM. Um, very briefly, going to talk about a piece in the papers today. Neil O'Reardon. Inconsistency in delivery of live games, a turnoff. Without airing weekly matches, RTE is not helping raise awareness of the league in a meaningful way. And he's talking about the comparison between rugby and uh, the League of Ireland. It's an excellent piece, uh, thoughtful and. Um, 
you know, very self-aware, but does does say uh, you can't help but feel there's a lost opportunity to capitalise on the new season interest in the league and to try to mobilise that and create a sense of momentum around it. What is RTE showing as an alternative? Last week, it was Ulster Rugby's URC clash against Cardiff Blues, which was also being shown by BBC and Premier Sports. RTE's broadcast from Ravenhill, which was geo-blocked outside the Republic of Ireland, attracted 68,000 viewers, 6% audience share, peaking at 91,000. When you consider the combined population of Cavan, Donegal and Monaghan is under 300,000, that's not bad. And it was, of course, higher than the two League of Ireland games the previous two Fridays. But it's not hard to imagine that Pats and Rovers, given their fan bases, could have attracted something similar. And those watching would have got far more of a contest than in the 48-12 win for Dan McFarland's side. This week, RTE is showing the Six Nations clash between Wales and France. It may be a snapshot in time, but it leaves us with the curious scenario whereby a Welsh rugby fan is being better served on these two weekends by the Irish state broadcaster than the Irish football supporter. That's remarkable, isn't it? It's, uh, I think, it's the Shelton Dock this Friday as well, which... Um, might have been the pick of the games no sorry Ro- Rovers Bowls would be the Rovers pick of the Bowles, games yeah. Yeah, sorry this Friday um, that would definitely be the standout fixture so yeah it's, it's, it's a bit mad like, and also the thing is like, um, it's not just about the current figures is it it's also about like what that figures would become uh, by flowering along over the next couple of seasons because you become more familiar with the league with the players and uh, and, and those numbers would grow whereas it feels like maybe um, the old Pro 14 current URC is operating at or close to its Potential at the moment. Obviously, if it's a, if it's a, an Irish derby, it's completely different. Like there there would be a multiple of that figure tuning in. But for the uh, the Ulster against a Welsh or a Scottish team or an Italian team, I think during the Six Nations, during the Six Nations, I, I think that those are you're not going to do much better than that ever. Whereas the league, obviously, committed like, showing all the games though. Yeah, in with the aim of trying to build up the league. Yeah, it's like that logic is being applied. We're going to put this on repeat so everybody knows when the big games come this is where they're going to come. It's almost like if you build it, they will come. Mm. But that does not apply to the League of Ireland. Uh, it seems to me, says Neil O'Reardon, if RT or any other broadcaster is not willing to commit to more comprehensive coverage that will raise the profile of the league in a meaningful way, then a parting of the ways is for the best. Concentrating efforts on building up LOI TV into a better product with a more flexible subscription model looks like a better option than plodding along with the current arrangement. It's hard to disagree with that. Mm. It is hard to disagree. It's, it's, like a, it's, it's not something that is being... Uh, lavished attention or interest or care as part of this deal find a partner who loves you yeah you know you're like the relationship is not good obviously you need to get out of this relationship would be the (laughs) dear Mary I'm in a long term relationship which seems to be stuck in a rut occasionally I get some attention and then I'm not quite sure why I get more attention and then the attention disappears for months at a time I mean this is a loveless marriage they're trapped in Mm. Yeah, but uh, they 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 take it on the, the the prospect of love coming down the line at one stage. Like, but maybe there's somebody else out there. It's a big bad world. Maybe there go is. and find somebody, well, or or force them to love you by saying you're going to show every game. Every if you want to show our international games, if you want to love me in the Aviva, you've got to love me in Bray, and maybe not go in Cork just yet until I get back into the uh, Premier League. But you got to love me in Talca. Yeah, and you got to love me in Tala. One thing I would say to that is that obviously there is there was like a big um, financial pressure on uh, RT and Virgin to get Six Nations rights, and as part of that package, you obviously have to show uh, France against Wales. Uh, but, sorry, but you don't have to show the under twenties. You don't. Like, all that was like, oh, yeah. like, oh, it's, it's a rule. We have to show this game. You don't. You don't. 
You don't have to show those games. You can make a decision, or you can put them on your News Now channel if you want. Like, yeah, yeah, fair. Or you can put it free to air on YouTube. Okay. There's a million different ways around this. You can be creative if you want to be. If there's I a guess will, the thing is that when you're buying the package, which includes the Ireland games or some of the Ireland games, you get these games for free as well. And it's like, oh well, we paid for it, so we may as well throw it on. You and know? so what, what? So they they have lavish more care and attention on club GA matches than they do on the national yeah. football. Soccer yeah, there, there was definitely there was definitely an, an effort made, and rightly so, to to get club games onto TV and to give more exposure to some of those club stories. And I think they should be looking at that, the League of Ireland, and saying, "Why aren't we getting that?" Like, I think that's exactly what they are saying. Yeah, but what you know, uh, Ulster versus Dragons—they're not being listened to. Right, give us your views. Ten past eight this morning. It's your taxpayers' money that we're talking about, by the way. So if you've got a view on that, we'd love to hear from you. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number, or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. And a reminder: OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, we want to talk about the potential merger between the LGFA, the Camogie Association, and the GA. And I'm delighted to welcome Gary Brennan to the show. Um, Gary's written a very thoughtful, interesting, thought-provoking piece in the Examiner, which we'll tweet a link to, and you should check it out. Um, it's uh, it's just a very interesting perspective, Gary, that we thought today would be a good day, International Women's Day, to have a chat to you about. How are you getting on? I'm good, Jerry. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. So, um, people will know you as a, a Clare footballer and a hurler with Ballier. Uh, but you're also married to a camogie player and had a first-hand view of the differences between the uh, difficulties um, that camogie players at inter-county level and footballers at inter-county level have. Yeah, that's right. Um, I didn't have to look too far for inspiration for that piece, I suppose, that you mentioned. Uh, my wife, Neve played camogie with Limerick, senior for... I could miss quote here, 15, if not 16 years, I think. Um, she was playing since she was 15 years of age, I think, uh, and never officially retired, but uh, isn't isn't currently playing senior camogie with Limerick, to put it that way. Um, so I suppose I had a very clear insight into um, how our lifestyle is different. Um, and I often say that I didn't really train fully until uh, I met Neve. She showed me what preparation training is really about. So I suppose I, I could just see um, the the allowances or what we were afforded as as male players was so much, things were so much easier for us than they were for our female counterparts. And, you know, the piece, I suppose, wasn't me trying to say that what I do here in St. Plannans or what we do in Clare is perfect or, or anything like that it was kind of a reflection piece for us all to maybe just take a, a, a step back and consider and think about what it's like to be on the other side of the fence you know um, and, and that, was, that was kind of the motivation for it and, and as I say it was very easy for me to see that just looking at, at, at Neve at home and, and how she used to repair and uh, I suppose what challenges she had to overcome compared to what, what I had to overcome. Can you give us some examples? Of, like, what was the most striking stuff as, as you would have gone along and kind of uh, it slowly dawns on you, ooh, my life's a bit easier than this. I don't have to do all that. Yeah, well, just from, from day to day, I suppose. Like, um, you know, if you took a, a typical training week, so if we had to do a gym session on a Monday, um, we probably had access or we, we, we met at a couple of different slots at the, at the gym, the county gym that we had for Clare. Whereas for Neve's team, they were probably looking to try and book a one-hour slot they had to be there at that particular time. They had to travel to do it. Um, you know, then training pitches, you know, on a Wednesday night, we had our dressing rooms, our pitch, everything laid on for us. Whereas, um, 
their team they might have been waiting until the last minute to try and get a pitch that pitch might have been pulled sometime in the afternoon and they have to go and find another pitch or maybe not even a pitch maybe train somewhere on the, on the back of a pitch somewhere with very poor light um, may not have dressing rooms um, so no shower after training uh, you know whereas we can have the shower sit down have a bit to eat have a chat with the lads and head away so even from that social side I suppose um, it's far easier for for male players um, most of the time and you know I'm not saying that every every male uh, player has it really easy and every female there has it really tough there are, there are challenges for both in different situations but you know there are some of the examples meals after training um, mileage rate I mean some of the mileage Neve would have been putting up in the car was, was mad um, and, and no expenses for it you know compared to male players getting 50 or sometimes 60 cents um, a mile um, you know nutritional support psychological support things like that that you know I think I would have seen for Neve's team for Limerick Camogie in, in later years but not to the same extent that we would have had um, as male players so it's just uh, you know gear another thing um, you know, and, and I, I actually think that the gear that we get as male players is far too much I don't think we need half the gear uh, we're getting a bag, like, gear bag full of gear every year there's just, there's just no need for it all but, um, you know a lot of the, the gear maybe that they would have gotten with Limerick Mogi they might have had to do their own fundraising or um, go out and source themselves or, or things like that so just I suppose where I was able to go and concentrate on my own playing and my own um, training for Neve and for many of our counterparts they had a lot of other things to consider as well before they could even think about training and playing uh, obviously, the the contrast there is is striking when you compare the uh, experience that she's had as a Limerick Camogie player and say the experiences of the Limerick hurlers over the last little while and how well resourced they have been. That kind of makes the whole thing more striking, I suspect. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, I suppose this, this possibly an argument that the Limerick hurlers maybe are better resourced than a lot of other male counties too, and and that is a, something that happens amongst you know. Even if we have a merger here, which we hopefully will have, um, that won't stop some teams being resourced better than others. You know, and that's, I suppose that's not um, what I'm striving for, what I'd like to see, but I would like to see a basic level, a minimum requirement for all teams, you know, male or female. Um, because there's always going to be those imbalances or those differences between counties or some counties are going to employ a system that allows them to provide more resources for their teams or provide them in a different way. Um, and, and, and that's that's not necessarily the worst thing, but um, I suppose just having a minimum standard for all players, be they male or female, um, and having the same opportunities to focus on playing and training is, is what I'd like to see. Um, you're a, a teacher in St. Flannans and, and you've worked with the girls' teams there as well. So, like, uh, there's there's a generation coming through that hopefully won't experience what your wife experienced and that there's a generation of lads coming through who won't experience what you saw, which was some kind of, you know, you didn't have a sense of privilege about it, but you you were aware of the fact that it was privileged and that's what needs to happen. But it really definitely, I know we we keep saying that, oh, this is actually happening already at, at um, club level and, and it's being driven by the clubs and it's being driven by the grassroots, but it does need the top of the organisation to say, right, we, we've caught up with you all and this is how it's going to be and this merger's happening. Here's how it's going to work and we have full equality now. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Yeah, it needs a statement of intent, you know, and uh, for all the 
for all the excellent work that is happening in in clubs around the country, following a one club model, and, and Neves Club actually would be would be one of those um, where all all teams participate under the same same code and same name, um, same colour, same name, and, and and share resources. But um, it's a hand at Limerick. But uh, for all of that good work, th- there's still are separate organisations, and if the GA wanted at any stage. They could make things, more, you know, difficult for the Camogie teams or the ladies football teams in that club, so or in any of those clubs that are doing that. So I think it's important that just from a basic level, the structure is right to start with. Um, make it all the one organisation. You, you mentioned at school there as part of the Leavens or PE um, curriculum. We were just having a discussion with, um, as it so happens, my my class of Leavens is all boys, which is a rare thing now in, in St. Flannan's here, where mixed school. But I have 19 boys in the class. Um, and I suppose just trying to get them to see it from other people's perspective as well, and from a female player's perspective. And things that, you know, I, I had a different perspective, but I'd, ha- I'd readily admit that I didn't always have a good insight into what it was like for a female player. So, um, and I know Joanna Reardon was an excellent piece and spoke well, very well last year, but it shouldn't take for males um, to have an insight into female sport for them to start speaking up but you know unfortunately I maybe wasn't as aware as I should have been beforehand but, but now I am and I suppose I'd like to try and contribute to the discussion some bit um, and if I can make some male players more aware of what it's like for a female player well then maybe that will help progress the discussion and, and help uh, bring some somewhat more balance to it um, and I think that's important that we're teaching guys and girls that at 14, 15, 16 um, and younger even, uh, rather than waiting until they're adults and maybe they have a bit more insight. Um, so, you know, I would just like to see a case where an, an eight or nine-year-old goes down to the club or six or seven, what age, whatever age they're starting now, and they're all part of the one body rather than immediately being separated into, well, that's the Komogi group over there, that's the that's the, the hurling team over there. But, um, they're all one club and, and one unit and working together, um, I suppose, in one direction. Yeah, because it can only it can only lead to a, a, a flowering of the organisation in a multitude of different ways. Like it's it's actually quite exciting yeah. when you think about what the end of this process is going to be. But there's a big clearly- thing. I mean, if you talk about sharing, the sharing of resources that could happen. I mean, if if you even look at um, the efficiency of use of resources, like uh, if you looked at, for example, in Clare here, the Clare men's footballers, the hurlers. The ladies footballers and the Camogie team, they're probably all, for example, employing a different strength and conditioning coach, employing different physios, potentially different nutritions. I mean, there's a huge opportunity there for centralizing that, having a core team who's responsible for the uh, performance of all the inter-county teams in the county and, you know, maybe having different layers within that or different groups within that that would work with the individual teams. But um, I just think it could be far more efficient and, and work far better for, for everyone, not just for um, ladies football or Camogie. And then you can see that being a resource that clubs can tap into as as exactly. and when it becomes appropriate. So um, what do you actually think is the main barrier to this? Because everybody is making the right noises and yet I'm not quite sure what the, the roadmap is for it to happen. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I don't I don't really know the answer to that question. Um to be honest with you, I, I know that I did have conversation with um, Egon O'Farrell when he was president of the GA and we were on the international rules tour. And um, at the time, he told me that this was the one thing he would 
like to have achieved most more than anything. That was back in 2017, I think, before he left office. Um, so I know it's something that I suppose has been wanted from different quarters at different stages. Maybe there's been some hesitancy from some of the, um, some of the female organizations in that they maybe feel they haven't, that their rights and that their, um, the deal mightn't work out to their, to their benefit, you know, and that's an understandable concern. I think it's important that if we are the kind of merger, that it's a very clear, uh, discussion that we look at how this will work best for everyone, you know, um, so there's probably been a bit of hesitancy and a bit of concern there, but I think it's, it's striking that the ladies football have, um, they passed the motion at the weekend that, uh, that the GPA had put forward or uh, a similar motion, sorry, to the GPA one. They, they I think, edited the Galway motion that had been proposed. Uh, so it reflected the same wording as, as the GPA motion to GA Congress. So, and, and the Camogie Association have uh, publicly committed that they will back it as well. So I think now we're starting to see um, more alignment in the thinking, you know, and, and I think that that more. Is, is a commitment to prioritise it. So this was like, I'd be watching with interest to see what, what that means and, and what that uh, leads to. But at the very least, there's a commitment now from all um, from all codes and all organisations to start working on this and see what it might look like uh, for everyone going forward. Uh, we're, we're very wedded to symbols and stuff and tradition in Ireland. And sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing. Um, the name seems to be something that might be up for grabs. Is that a, is that important or not? Like I can't I, I can't decide if like if the new organisation is going to be something which has a different name. It doesn't feel like it really matters, but it might for for a lot of people. Yeah, I, yeah um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask there because I, I just be like, look, if it is a new name, it is a new name. Um, <laughs> what about it? You know, if it, if it means a better future for everyone, then a new name, so be it. But. Um, that, that may be more important to some other people. So, um, again, that's something that would have to be included in the conversation and, uh, just see, I suppose, how much of a, how much of a barrier is it going to be if, if, if a name is stopping the combination of all three organizations, I think we're in trouble. Uh, I think it'd be very, very hard to iron out the other issues that will arise as this happens. Um, because, you know, this, this will be, this won't happen overnight and won't happen uh, quickly. There'll be plenty of complications along the way, I'm sure. But I would certainly hope that a name wouldn't be top of that list. Hey, Gary, when, when you're um, speaking like this and, th- and thinking about this, th- does any of your own experience come into it? And, and I mean that in the sense of being uh, a footballer in what would traditionally be seen as a hurling county. Was there uh, challenges that you guys had to overcome to get to a level where you were trying to look at the last eight consistently in, in whatever it was, the, the 2014, 2015, 2016 direction? Just lost the middle of your question there, Owen, but I think um, if I took it right, it was just that... Uh, compare how my experiences maybe and trying to strive for better yeah might compare to I suppose the female players I'm not sure if that was exactly what you said but I, I'd be yeah, hesitant yeah. to particularly as a yeah, footballer in, a, in, in Clare you know yeah yeah and, and I won't lie that that thought crossed my mind I suppose that we were often the the poor relation um, in the county or seen as the poor relation I should say uh, compared to the hurlers but you know I, I'd hesitate even to say that because it's it's completely unfair for me to compare what it was like for me as a male Gaelic footballer uh, to what it is like for a female player because even though we may not have gotten everything that the hurlers got at times or 
you know, we might get the same support. It's still um, a different world completely to what it's like for a female player. So, look, maybe that would have given me some small bit of insight, but I, I don't think it's anything compared to what female players are dealing with day to day. Yeah, we, we like there will be misogyny that we need to talk about and counteract uh, as this change happens. There will be dinosaurs and clubs who will refuse to give the main pitch to the women's teams because they've never had it before and that's the that that is maybe an unspoken part of this is that like we we can't tolerate those attitudes anymore we've kind of probably turned a blind eye to it in the past and when the stories come out from the women's teams everybody is shocked at the stories but then nothing actually happens in the aftermath of that what we're saying is it's going to be codified that there's equality when the when the senior team needs the main pitch the senior team gets the main pitch not the under-14 boys team over the women's team the way it would be at the moment. And I'm not sure that every everybody around the country is just ready for that yet. And, I mean, tough shit, really. But they're the stories that we have to listen, uh, take on board, and then move past. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. Um, that's the day-to-day barrier like, that will be struck. And, um, you know, as I say, I, I'm not claiming to be perfect, like... Um, this happens in clubs up and down the, the, the country all the time. And uh, even in our own club last year, I was coaching a, an under-15 team and the senior Camogie team were, were due to come on the pitch after us. Now, uh, I think the senior Camogie team thought I was trying to take over the pitch at the time, but I was very much intending to be finished in time for their session. And, but there's there's that immediate kind of fear that, or that, that because it's happened before, well, the pitch is going to be taken on us or, you know, um, we're supposed to have this pitch and we're not getting it when we should. So there just needs to be clear communication and clear, um, I suppose, it's going to take direction and it's going to take good leadership at the top of each club. But also that, you know, all bodies recognise that that's if the senior Camogie team are due to train and the senior Camogie team are committing and are bringing numbers to training, uh, that they deserve to have the pitch as good as the senior hurling team would or the senior football team would, you know. Um, and it's just, it's, it's as you say, it's going to take a change in attitude. It's going to take a change in in thinking for people, which won't happen quickly. But um, I've seen it in Eve's club in a hand there where, you know, they, they still might not always have the top pitch or the main pitch, but they've won a county championship since the, the men have won a county championship and they, they got fantastic support in the club, you know, and... Um, a lot of the male players were there supporting them on the day and throughout the process. So I think it's, as, as things like that happen, um, I think more and more clubs will start to buy in and more and more people will start to see the benefit of it and, and follow that lead. Yeah, it'll be transformative. I mean, that's the, the, as I said, at the end of this process, something magical is going to happen where you have one of the most important cultural and grassroots organisations in the country recognising the power to be an agent of change. Um, I, I do want to briefly uh, ask you to put on your hurling and football hats at the moment. Do you consider yourself a hurler or a footballer now, considering the late flowering of your career as a club hurler is um, what a lot of people would know you as for the last couple of years? Yeah, no, I'm very much uh, a football man um, still. Yeah, no, uh, My home club is actually hurling uh, in Ballet, so I played hurling all the way up along, but I suppose we only really saw success in the last uh, seven or eight years at senior level. So, um, no, I'm, I'm still very much a football man. I, I'm involved in football here in the school. And um, at the moment, I have, actually haven't even gone back club hurling this year. I'm just club football at the moment. Um, we had a, a little baby boy 
just over three months ago, so uh, he's keeping us busy at the moment. So uh, club, club hurling will go on the back burner before football will go on the back burner. Okay, fair enough. Then that's that. That is um, a definite identifier. Um, Tommy was telling us we need to ask you about Shane Meehan who is also a, a dual star uh, he's um, flying for the hurlers but captain the minor footballer still only 19 so um, already getting rave reviews where's he going to end yeah, up do you think uh, um, Shane looks at, just lost you there for a second again George. sorry but Shane, Shane is a class act um, and I, suppose I, I saw him first playing with the player minor footballers as you say um, and just and you're looking for you're looking to go to a match and you're looking to, you want to see the most exciting players. You want to see the the main the skills of the game being being displayed. Oh, we've just lost the line to St. Fallon's there this morning. But sure look, we were nearly finished anyway, so we'll say thanks very much to Gary Brennan for his contribution this morning. You should read that piece in the examiner. Um it's definitely thought provoking and like really the merger just needs to happen. They need to tell everybody what they're gonna do have some consultations about what the outcomes need to be and then get on with it and say, here's how we're going to audit. As it goes along, here's how we're going to make sure that it's successful. Here's a hotline for anybody who wants to report hmm. uh, misogynistic dinosaurs. And it shouldn't be that hard. And it, as a result of that, it should be something that is noticeable in its change very quickly. And uh, not necessarily overnight, but pretty close to it. Like, I mean, some of these, it, it, when, when you're talking about things that involve common sense, but that can also make a big difference, the change can happen very, very quickly, even though it feels like that there's a lot of a lot of uh, hoops to jump through. It kind of feels as if that suits the, the old narrative that this thing is complicated. Yeah, I mean, I hold no candle for any of the politicians who've ever been in charge of the departments of sport, but uh, reminding everybody about the rules that are in place to get government funding and... Uh, in in terms of female representation throughout your organisation, not just the tokenistic stuff that you can do at board level. Uh, stop the funding. Stop the funding for the RFU. Stop the funding for the FAI. Stop the funding for the GAA until they get their houses in order when it comes to proper integration and pushing women's sport forward. That's the... And in fairness to them, they say they're going to do that. Yeah. So time to put up or shut up everybody yeah and I, like I don't see why they wouldn't do that like if you're like if you're being an unbelievable cynic about it as well like I mean it doesn't make any sense politically for them to not do that like I mean uh, they want to be the face of uh, a positive news story and this is going to lead to far more positive reflections on Irish sport you'd like to think over the next little while yeah again potentially transformative for all of these organisations a reminder OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it's 8.32 great show lads Everton fan here leaving, living in Greenville South Carolina I'm either up late or early either way toffees suck and I'm preparing for relegation <laughs> and not being back for a bit great show says Dave F so he's he's with you he's, he thinks they're going down yeah but he's got the I mean I, I, I presume everywhere in South Carolina is kind of slightly idyllic as a place to live um, if you're on the beach it's kind of supposed to be sensational I've never been but I definitely want to go uh, so you know it's not too bad it's definitely up late though oh definitely yeah like I mean what, uh, what has you up till 3 o'clock on a, on a Tuesday morning uh, Everton fans wanted Lampard because he shouted a clop once says Noel do you remember that giving it a big one because you won the league once <laughs> uh, yeah in the Champions League yeah no, that was fun and Klopp just telling him to calm down Calm down, you know. You know when, like, somebody says, "Just calm down," and it just makes you angrier and angrier and angrier. You're in a bad mood, Frank. It just makes him in a worse mood. Yeah, uh, great interview. The success of the male game is in part due to the standards based on these advantages. Every team should get fifty-fifty of what the senior junior can afford at that level. Uh, Ronan says, "Any chance to do something on the MLB? It's becoming completely unwatchable as a sport with the owners holding the players to ransom." 
haven't been following the potential for the lockout and strike and the absence of a deal have you been following enough of it? Not really. I know that the Players Association have like rejected a, a recent proposal from uh, the league, but um, it's it, like I mean, this it's not the first time the sport has had to deal with a, a lockout, and this one seems pretty pretty poisonous. and doesn't seem like they're they're going to get past this impasse anytime soon. They seem to be managing decline in baseball, don't they? Like they seem to be managing what decline? Like yeah. it's kind of it's going to where does it stop? Where does it? Because uh, you know, uh, like. It, it got better to watch when they were able to show you where the strike zone was. Yeah. But I still think that, like, the strike zone is is an agreed virtual space. Mm. It's a bit like the metaverse. <laughs> it's a bit like NFTs. You have to accept that this is important for us all to agree on it. And, I mean, baseball is, it was ultimately, if the ball goes anywhere in this area, it's a strike. But if it goes over here, it's not a strike. Mm. It's like, what? what's, how do you know? The big guy strike zone is better. So why don't they just get a lot of little guys who's like, oh, that's outside my strike zone. I'm sorry, I couldn't hit it. Well, there you go. Maybe you missed a... a, a the little short stubby arms. I'm like... You missed the life as an Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. Uh, like, did I see somewhere that there's talk, there's talk of like putting more teams into the playoffs as well in the MLB, which at face value, I'm like, you have a billion games in the regular season. Uh, to devalue the the fact that you've got a billion games even further probably wouldn't be an amazing everybody get through. I'm not sure though is that part of the current lockout that that's actually uh, maybe a more lucrative thing for players or something um, again I haven't been following it closely enough to to say for sure Alright at 8.35 we're running you through the sports pages it's uh, fairly uniformity this morning it seems genuine that's Matt Williams and Jerry Thornley talking about Razzy Rasmus's um, denial that the video was leaked on purpose I'm not sure Jamie Carrick gives damning verdict of Seamus Coleman uh, his days are numbered, says Pat Nevin on Seamus Coleman. Poor Seamus. FIFA relaxes rules to allow foreign players leave clubs in Ukraine. And Frank O'Farrell did an interview with uh, OTB back in 2009. If you want to hear the voice of the former Manchester United manager, who of course passed away yesterday at the age of 94. Uh, Ron the legend, missing Cristiano, is facing Old Trafford exit. And Rashford's also open to leaving United. More leaks. Ron the legend, ledge. End. They want you to mispronounce the word so the headline works. Yeah, it's the end of the legend. It is the end of the legend. Uh, Kane, the legend. Harry ahead of Henri. Harry Kane topped Thierry Henry in the all-time Premier scoring charts. On a horror night for Frank Lampard. And Eddie Jones started the mind games early by saying Ireland are brilliant. That's an unusual Eddie Jones trick. Normally, it's like... A different way. Uh, the the leaks, it was Fabrizio Romano who had the story yesterday first and everybody has picked up on it. Question mark. Frustrated Rashford wants guarantees over his future. Frank gets spanked. Okay. Uh, Kenny set to agree deal, it says. <laughs> so, uh, this is Paul Lennon's story. Stephen Kenny will sign his contract extensions Ireland manager within the next few days. And it's planned that a formal announcement confirming the deal will be made by the FA and Kenny early next week at the latest. The Ireland boss is scheduled to name a squad for the end of month friendlies against Belgium and Lithuania on Friday week. Uh, talks have substantially concluded to the satisfaction of both sides. So, what are we, March? When did we start calling for this? Last August? Sure, look, they're getting there. Things are progressing. We're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um... Because I, th- I think maybe that was one of the question marks really around that deal was would he get the till uh, to see out the year twenty twenty four qualification campaign and I think that that's that is going to be the case. Is that confirmed in that piece? That's what it says in the piece. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. It's unclear if Kenny will be able to confirm the appointment before Belgium and Lithuania play. He's still seeking a replacement for Anthony Barry. And, yeah. It's the most obvious decision and the correct decision. Rashford considers future as United slide into turmoil as the Telegraph. Premier League and EFL pull plug on Russian TV contracts. Um, as the sanctions continue. Uh, question mark. United fears for Rashford as he demands answers over his future. Like, they're going to do nothing until the new manager comes in and decides whether or not he wants Rashford. The new manager might go, I'm not sure. And they'll let his contract run down. But they apparently have a, a they can trigger an extra year in it. So it's less of a Pogba situation. Okay, I didn't, I didn't so, know that there was the extra year. Well, uh, it's reported. Who's reporting that? Yeah. Is that is that a pro... Oh, no, we've, we've got the situation. We're managing it very well. Thanks very much for your story. We actually have an extra year there. And players like, well, it's probably an extra year that we both need to agree on. Yeah. So maybe you don't really have that extra year if I don't agree. But it's there anyway. Dreadful Everton in grave danger. The other thing, like, um, is the England goalkeeper any good? Was he not a fault for the second goal? Oh, the, 100% he was. Well, like what? You know, he it's made not. a couple of good late saves, but it's like, I mean... It's 5-0. Yeah. I'm playing great at 5-0. Yeah, it was a... Yeah, the ball squirted under his body for the second. Like, it was a, it was a howler. It was, yeah. So... The mail. Uh, worst ever. Lampard's in big trouble as sizzling spurs go goal crazy. Is it the, it the worst ever start for Everton? 28 games in. So it's not really a start, but... Um, Gee, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's on as Jones says Ireland are favourites. Do we really... Like, is that really... Eddie Jones has this power over us that he says, oh, you guys are favourites. But I go, no. Eddie, we're favourites. You you found our kryptonite telling us we're favourites. I'm not sure about you. I woke up pretty proud this morning. Uh, Eddie Jones said yesterday that we are literally the most cohesive side in the world. I woke up feeling Irish and cohesive as hell. Feels good to be cohesive. Yeah. What does it mean in your day-to-day life? Oh, How do you take it into your interactions with other human beings? Everything, everything is just so uh, so much synergy, and everything is so synchronized. And yeah, Co- being cohesive is good. All right, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is eight forty. We're turning our attention to the women's national league, and I'm delighted to say the Shelburne captain Pearl Slattery is with us. Pearl, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Morning, lads. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no oh, worries. Good. You uh, got the start of the league campaign off with a win and a goal, so you must have been pretty happy at the end of last week. Yeah, look, delighted with the win. It's always, I feel, we always speak as a group that, you know, even last season and same this season, it's always important to start well. Um, And just look, getting the win, it's not going to be perfect on the fourth day by any means, just once you win. And look, when you look back at it now, one nil, three points, clean sheet, really happy with it. yeah, delighted now to look forward now to this weekend against Wexford. The end of last season was uh, so spectacular and wild and bizarre and brilliant from your guys' perspective. What was the off-season like? How do you how do you try and take some of the feeling that you had on the last day of last season and bottle it and bring it with you? Can you do that? Or is last season completely finished and it, totally irrelevant to this year? What's the, what's the truth to that? Yeah, I think, look, at, at the end of the season, you're obviously after the cup final and stuff, you kind of sit back, don't you, as a player, we've all done it. And I suppose just look back on the season and I found myself, you know, through the month of November, December, just thinking that that actually really happened. Sometimes you'd be sitting there going back to it. It's just a really special night in Talca Park. It's probably the best, you know, night I've ever had in football. And a lot of the girls would say that. But, you know, once you enjoy Christmas and that with your family and you go back down to pre-season yourself and you come into pre-season, especially now that we started the season, 
look, it's, it was a wonderful night. We were delighted to win, you know, the fourth title of five years for the club. But it's a brand new season now, so it's gone. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on us this season now as champions. Um, so, look, we'll have to be on our, on our game and, uh, every weekend. And, look, we'll always compete. That's all, all you want. But uh, look, last year is definitely gone now. Look, as I said, already the fourth game of the new season's gone already. The games are going to come ticking fast and... Um, you know, the, the, the league itself last season was really competitive and I think this year is going to be even more so. So, look, looking forward. But yeah, look, that was a special night, but it is gone now and we're just trying to look forward. Do you feel that there's an extra pep in your step this season? Do you, do you, do you is, like, is it nonsense to say that you can actually feel like champions when you're out there? Um, I don't know. I don't know if you can feel like champions, but I feel, you know, there's an expectation on us now to go out and try to do well every game. Look, we've done that every other year anyway, but I think... Definitely now, you know, every weekend, because you know, you know, in previous years, and you know, if P mounted won it, look, you always want to, you always want to be the cha- the champions. You always want to try, like try try take over them and stuff. So I think other teams will be like that with us. We kind of have a target on our back now. So, but look, I've always said it in interviews. I feel like that every weekend. As anyway, as a Shells player, I suppose every team would like to be us. Similar to us, though, every weekend you want to go into a game and win. But I do think there's a little bit more now that target is on your back as champions. And we know, look, every game, as I said, is that the, the league has just gone so competitive now. You look at the game the weekend with Bowers, you know, it was nil all until the 70th odd minute. Fair play to Bowers. They made it difficult for us. They're well set up. So look, every team, every year is improving and we need to make sure now, you know, ourselves, when you become champions, it's very easy to drop standards and think, and, you know, I'll be the driving force and Noel and the staff and the players, in fairness, themselves, make sure that, that that doesn't happen to us and we keep going. Look, we'll take a week by week. We won't look beyond Wexford this week. You know, we, we full concentration on balls this weekend and as I said, you're delighted with the win um, the three points in the clean sheet and now we move on to Wexford. I just wanted to generally ask you about the explosion in women's football in Ireland over the last period of time. You you are part of that. You, you know, you're in your day job working for the FAI. You're essentially involved and you see how the the game is growing. What more do we need to do as a as a country to make sure that the growth continues properly and that um that because we we've just been talking all morning about the rugby team and uh the situation with regards to the GAA and the merger happening there. The FAI are at a different um they're coming at it from a different angle. So how do you make sure that we build on the popularity of the game and that anybody who wants to play is getting given the opportunity to play. Yeah, I think look, I think you look around the world and I always say this, the potential for growth in the women's game is massive and it's in a really good place, I think, around the world, but more so in our country. You could see the last few years, even in the league, the development of that, the crowds were getting at the games. Like You should have seen the crowd again at Tolka this weekend, which is brilliant to see because we haven't really seen crowds like that in the Women's National League you know we've went from 30 to 40 people at our games now to a few hundred which is brilliant but I always say as well in the FAI you know we've a strategic plan now there in place that we'll be following for the next few years and one of the pillars is women's football and it's brilliant now that there's a you know we can really focus on that but I just think look we have to continue more of the same and rather like it's in a really good place I think women's football in this country now but support we don't stop and say we're in a really good place and that we keep driving it forward we keep going look you look at how well the women's national team are doing you know the deals have come in there the equal pay you know the sponsorship the buzz around that you know I was talking to somebody the other day where you know I obviously worked with the FEI a few years ago you know we used to give out comps to those games now you know they're selling out um, and you know people are buying the tickets which is which is brilliant and 
I just think in terms of women's national team now, if we can qualify for a major tournament, I think that would really take women's football to the next level here. I just think we need to get to a major tournament and it's definitely possible. So I'm really excited over the next few months to see how that goes. And then obviously in terms of women's national league, I think it's just getting bigger and bigger every year. And that's all you want every year just for it to continue to grow. And um, you look at TG Carr coming in, the sponsorships, all that sort of stuff. You even see that air game the weekend, you know, RT were there, the newest, there was highlights, all that. It's, you know, just about seeing it as much as possible that young girls around the country, the next generation could see what is actually possible if you want to play football in this country. And as I said, you know, the development and, you know, we have to remember where we were a few years ago as well. Like, so it's brilliant where we are, but it's important now that we keep pushing forward and that we don't just settle for where it is now and that we keep driving the standards and keep wanting to develop and just getting better and better every year and giving young girls around the country in wherever, you know, capacity you want to get involved in the game, whether it's playing, referee and volunteering, coaching, all that sort of stuff in terms of the women's games, that's just opportunities there, you know. Am I right in saying you went to college in the States? Was that on a football scholarship? I was, yeah. I was over there for about three and a half years. And look, at the time, I just wanted to go wanted to go live in another country, experience it. Um, you know, I was playing two games a week. We played Wednesday night and Saturday. We were trading every day. It was, you know, a brilliant experience. Because there's, there's uh, in Ireland, we, we sometimes are delighted for people who get to go away. And sometimes we're like, oh, I can't believe these people are, are leaving. Certainly the, the kids who go off and play Australian rules, it's, it's always a double-edged sword for the counties who feel like they've brought the young players through. But your experience seems to have been, this was life-changing and great. And I kind of feel like, you know, if you're if you're a kid, fifteen, sixteen, and good enough at football to go off and get a scholarship or go off and make your life as a professional somewhere else, maybe you'll come back, maybe you won't. But either way, that's kind of part of you know that's part of the sport. So um, I just think that it's an opportunity that's open to a load of people that maybe wouldn't be open to them if it wasn't for sports. Yeah, look, it was a brilliant experience for me. I think it really was life changing for me, just in terms of fitness I would have thought I would have been fit going to America and over there it's a completely different ball game you know they're unbelievable athletes so I just feel you know that's probably when my career turned I went up a level fitness wise and stuff and learned so much over there so when I did come home when the Women's National League was starting I felt you know I had just took it up a level fitness wise and, and just looking after myself and I learned all that through the States but I think look I speak to a lot of young girls and stuff or people think about going abroad it's you know on the individual if they want to go to States or some people who are lucky enough around their league or in Ireland to go to England you know the most important thing is you know that once they go and if they're good enough that they're not kind of forgotten about and look I'm bringing it back to the women's national team you look at Roma who went across the States was, it's been great now to see her she is over in the States she is in college she is living her dream but she's also still getting called back um, into the women's national team which is which is massive like a lot of the girls that go to England and stuff so yeah look think opportunities like that if that's what you want to do as an individual you know you definitely should do it Has the fitness caught up here compared to the States? Has the which? Has the, the fitness programmes caught up in comparison to your experience oh, in the States? Yeah definitely should have been nearly 10 years ago now I was mm. in the States I just mean as like myself as a, an individual you know, I suppose the Women's National League had really started then. Um, you know, the education, this is what I always say to a lot of young girls as well, like the education they get now in terms of the game, um, football-wise, fitness-wise, nutrition-wise, it's just a different level altogether, you know. And I suppose when I was here and then I moved abroad for the three and a half years, that was my biggest learning curve. I think, like, you know, the, the level was good. 
And I always felt I could compete as a footballer, but my fitness and, you know, how you recover and all that just went up a level. And I remember a few people saying that to me when I came home, that it just, you know, transformed fitness-wise and, you know, just looking after myself. And look, if you're training every day, playing games twice a week, that'll help you naturally. But it was just, you know, the pre-season over there was just... Jesus, lads, it was very, very tough, you know. And I look at it now, we were probably over and a little bit, but it just prepped me then when I come back to the Women's National League fitness-wise and being able to compete and play at the Women's National League level then, you know. Probably, will you just explain for everybody what it is your day job is with the FEI? It, it, it's it's to develop the women's game specifically, is it? Yeah, so I'm, you know, the, the FEI obviously has went through a new restructure the last, you know, two years. So um, <clears throat> I would have been a development officer at, like, just involved in the women's game actually on, on South Dublin and then with the restructure people inside kind of moved and my boss had moved on and his role came up and I'm now women's football program coordinator in their grassroots department so I work with a lot of you know the regions with our own staff just trying to develop the game grow the game through participation but also retain it so we'd have like a grassroots pathway a, a menu of programs if you like for clubs and leagues around the country so we start at that five to eight year old age group with us Disney Playmakers and then we have three or four programs after that. The soccer sisters will obviously run over over the Easter camp. So I kind of head them up and work with, as I said, the FBI. We've kind of split the country now into eight regions. We've eight regional managers and eight program coordinators. And I'm one of them. I'm the program coordinator for women's football. So I would link in with a lot of those regions and the clubs um, and other stakeholders around the country just to try to, to, to grow the game and, and retain retain players throughout. So look, I'm very lucky. Obviously, the women's game is a big passion of mine. I played it and. No, I volunteered for a lot of years and I volunteered just to give back because the game has given me so much and then I end up getting a job in the FEI and I'm there now six years very grateful to the FEI you know I work with football every day I'm very very happy and it's a role I'm really enjoying and look the FEI have kind of always supported me as well being a women's national league player I'm able to do both and sometimes it can be tough you're so busy and trying to balance both but I've been very very lucky and I'm really enjoying the job I'm only in it since last January so I'm in it over a year and a bit um, so I'm still learning, but I have to say I'm loving it. We know the facilities are obviously an issue right around the country, and, and that's a, a separate kind of day's work. But in, in terms of encouraging people to get out and coach and get involved, is that almost as important in terms of the player pathway and keeping players involved, is that they actually they have enough coaches and they have enough support when they're going and showing up for training? Yeah, look, it's massive, isn't it? It's... I think in the women's game over the years, all you want is that, you know, quality, the respect to be treated the same, you know, to be, you know, to have the best coaches, to have the best facilities and, you know, the, the women's game or your team not just being, you know, an extra add-on. And that's where I really think, you know, what's changed around this country now. The women's game is really getting that respect, I feel. You know, clubs now are coming in. You know, we see it in the FEI now. Clubs are just, you know, being bombarded with, you know, um, female teams, young girls teams, but they're they're putting a lot of time into it now, resources, people within the club who actually want to really do it and do it well, you know, getting that equal time slot, getting half a pitch, getting a full pitch. And that's the way it should be. And that's all you want as a female player. Um and look, even if it's playing, coaching, volunteering, wherever it is, that the opportunities there, the same opportunity in that you're you know, you're getting them because you're good enough and it's you know, it's kind of forgetting about that female and male thing, you know. 100%. Pearl, great to have you with us this morning. Best of luck. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. It's Pearl Slattery there, plays for Shelburne, obviously works for the FAI as well. Um, if you want to get involved in the conversation this morning, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, John Duncan, good morning to you. 
Jarno, and how are we doing? Pretty good. How are you? Not bad. Life is pretty good for you at the moment. Uh, well, yeah, okay. So, or does virtual insanity just cover over for a dreadful life or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking more Spurs and virtual insanity. Oh, yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't want to, you know, tell everybody I'm a great fellow, so you guys can do that. <laughs> well, uh, you missed yesterday, obviously, when... Um, Owen kind of vicariously takes credit for your virtual insanity because yeah, he, he backs it. Yeah. He's like, I, I won at the weekend. Yeah. So. Well, well, the more people that are involved in the virtual insanity community, the better. So Owen has been welcomed into the pews of the uh, congregation, absolutely, with open arms and uh, is taking the communion every week. A WhatsApp group of mine gets a text usually around uh, 11 o'clock every Saturday night being like, um, Don Juggins tips guys Don 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 Juggins is what your, your pseudonym in our group uh, yeah. and nobody else has uh, has got on so uh, they're pretty annoyed I think but you know yeah it's going is. well Ryan Bram 66 to 1 uh, not too bad in the Puerto Rico Open I did say it was the bonus content last week folks if you read it on the OTV Sports app or on otvsports.com so look the Arnold Palmer Invitational was a little bit unlucky Matt Fitzpatrick was the headline tip was one place out of the places one shot out of the places on tied for ninth, but uh, profit twenty three and a half percent. So not far bad, this year. not bad at all. And before the weekend, you would have said Rory, but your luck, Rory. Well, yeah, it's uh, worrying for him ahead of the Masters, lads, because I don't see him moaning about the course to be the right approach. Scotty Scheffler hung around and won. And Scotty Scheffler said on Sunday he didn't have his best and he just hung around and he won. And that's what you need to do sometimes. You need to play the percentages. And I felt there was too much emotion in what Rory was doing. And not for the first time in the last six months. We saw a couple of tournaments in Dubai where it just didn't go right for him. We had the rip shirt incident. And then we had the way Victor Hovland kind of just took him out of it at the Dubai Desert Classic when he hit into the water. And what was I- he doing ripping his shirt? I mean, I know he's like, it's not a big deal. Stop going on about it. But what was he doing? He was angry. What was he doing ripping his own shirt? He was angry. I mean, there was nothing else to rip. He didn't, maybe didn't have like a wedge to smash. But the snapped wedge, the ripped shirt, that's not the Zen master that he portrays himself to be. No, I think that Have I, you lads ever smashed my anything? my own clothes? Have you ever smashed anything or in, in Aston Villa getting beaten or Kildare getting beaten? Or? I mean, a long time ago. You know, a long, long, long time ago. But you grow out of these things, Owen. right? No, not really. It was a happy moment. I think I dislocated my jaw once because uh, my I, I opened my mouth so wide after. I think <laughs> I was at the Emirates. I think Arsenal had just scored a late winner against. Arsenal. This is not true. I did, yeah. What? Yeah, I felt a big crack in my mouth, and it was it was sore for a long, long did time. Did you go to the NHS? No, I didn't. I was like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> You, you dislocated your jaw smiling so much at, at Arsenal goal. Yeah, I think I was just like let out a roar and then... The, the <laughs> it just got stuck. Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah, it just got opened up quite wide. But other than that, like, I mean, there's no... That, that was that was for positive reasons. Yeah, I've never, yeah. I've never... I've never um, I'm a lover, not a fighter, you know? I wouldn't uh, wouldn't really throw anything or... Um, uh, smashing <laughs> smashing uh, a golf club were I to be a top-class golf player. Okay. And, and have you never been that happy again in your life, it turns out? No. Right. Yeah, that was it. I used I used up all my serotonin there and then. Okay. None none left. Um, but the yeah, dislocatable but, celebratory jaw. Yeah, that's <laughs> Owen's never, glass jaw. I've never heard of this. No, I I thought that would be a common occurrence for many people. It's strange, strange things happen when um, when when Is good things common? happen. In sport. I don't know. Um, I didn't think it was that that a spectacular thing to be honest. But yeah, no. The answer to your question is no. Nothing in anger, but like I, 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 I'm, I'm not overly 
like I, I think what you can read into Rory is that he has, as you say, proclaimed himself to be. I forgot we were talking about Rory the, there. The sorry. stoic individual, <laughs> and that the, this does fly in the face a little bit of, of that. But uh, I wouldn't be overly worried about a professional sports person being angry with their own performance. That's just run a strange thing to rip your own clothes. Maybe when you are that ripped, you're like, I'm going to show everybody how ripped I am. All that, all those hours in the gym need to be. You got another. Plenty of free clothes coming your way as well. Like it's not. <laughs> it wasn't about that. It's more the you know. Just the, anyway. Yeah. Uh, also going on is um, Spurs are good at football again. What yeah. Good, bad, bad. Good. Don't good. play twice in a week. I think is the thing about Spurs at the moment. Maybe they're being um, really put under the gun in training by Antonio Conte because they've had a couple of flat performances against Burnley and Middlesbrough in between three very good performances, scoring what twelve goals against Manchester City, Leeds and Everton. Now, Everton were terrible last night. Absolutely terrible. But it was um, encouraging to see Matt Doherty. Very encouraging. Yeah, at wing back. And he says it's his reason why he's back at Spurs. Yeah, look, I, obviously that position I love. I think, that's the, like I said before, that's the reason why, why I'm at Tottenham. I was, I was playing that position at Wolves. And um, it was managing to get in, in at the back stick and, and create, create chances and score goals. So um, hopefully, hopefully I can keep it up. Don't know what Jose was doing and playing him at the back four, but he's already got ahead of Emerson in the team. So Sessegnon's got ahead of Reguillon and Darty's got ahead of Emerson. And Antonio Conte praised him in his press conference last night, which was great to see. A little bit of a trickier night for Seamus Coleman, who was kind of caught for the first goal, uh, which Michael Keane put into his own net. And Everton's back four really struggled. Didn't have much protection either. And Frank Lampard has ascribed individual errors to the Toffees' defeat. The main issues tonight for me were football issues of, of uh, mistakes and you know bad defending for the goals. It's quite clear. So um, and it wasn't just the, the the defensive situations at the top end of the pitch. We we didn't show enough, um, and that was from the early part of the game. Even when we were in a relative control, we still weren't looking up. Like we were threatening their back line enough, and and Tottenham the way they play, very organised. Up to you though, Frank. Do you sort it out? Yeah, it is, isn't it? And I'm not sure he's going to be able to do it. The lucky thing for him is that Leeds are also in trouble. Um, can Jesse Marsh turn that around quickly defensively for Leeds? Also, Burnley do find it hard to win as, as tough, difficult as they are sometimes to beat. They're still in the drop zone. Everton have games in hand on both. Brentford, I think, will probably be okay uh, with Ivan Tony back in the team and scoring again. So it's going to be fascinating, but it's going to go down to the wire, lads. Who do you want to go down? Me? Yeah. I I think that it's time for Everton to go down. <laughs> they've had their they've had their 1951. Time. They've had their time. 1951, the last time Mayo were uh, sorry Everton were as a Freudian slip. Was it actually 1951? What? So, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, the Mayo thing in my head there. Um, the last time Everton were relegated from the top flight of, right. a, of an English league. Um, who do I want to go down? Bernie Boney, because I said I predicted they would at the start of the year. See, now they're, they're fighting the way they're fighting and they get good results against the good teams. And Sean Dyche is a miracle worker. Like, I would like to see Sean Dyche at a club that has some money to see what he could do. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's wedded to caveman football because uh, he believes that that's the only way to play football. I think it's, I don't know. The thing about Everton is, uh, I'm kind of conflicted in that I really like having been to Goodison Park I really like the vibe I like the community aspect of Everton I, I think they're a really big club for the community in Liverpool but you could do um, MBAs or MBSs on um, university business studies on how not to run a business 
which is Everton has been chronically run by horrific decisions to spend 500 million pounds and have a club in this situation yeah yeah they're like a a, a lower rent Manchester United yeah. with the profligacy and waste yeah it's it's just awful uh, business practice from like technical directors or anybody in an executive level the transfer policy the whole thing and it's underplayed in football because um, clubs just because they pump money in seem to be beyond scrutiny of that kind of thing but it's, uh, it's it's shocking Liverpool on the other hand a well run club 2-0 up against Inter ahead of the second leg of their Champions League last 16 match tonight Thiago and Joel Matip might return Bayern Munich and Salzburg tied at a goal apiece ahead of their game Nottingham Forest into the FA Cup quarterfinals they will play Liverpool now after a 2-1 win over Huddersfield this championship action tonight six matches involving the leaders Fulham as well going to Swansea Blackburn Rovers hoping for promotion push versus Millwall Barnsley Stoke Bournemouth Peterborough Coventry Luton and Sheffield United Middlesbrough Mickey Moran according to the Irish News has stepped down as manager of uh, Kilcoo uh, the down club that won the All-Ireland under his uh, guidance there last month against Kilcoo Croaks in extra time so uh, that is uh, disappointing for Kilcoo but he, he did his job there sad news about Franco Farrell uh, the Cork native 94 years of age has passed away uh, the only Irishman to ever manage Manchester United came in permanently after Matt Busby and it was difficult with Busby still at the club to put yeah. his own stamp on it. Yeah. Only lasted 18 months, but also led Leicester to an FA Cup final in 1969, managed Iran in the mid-70s, played for Cork United, West Ham and Preston. I'm still in shock as well, lads, about Shane Warren. That was just awful news a few days ago. And Ricky Ponting did a very nice uh, piece with the ICC YouTube channel um, on his friend and his former teammate. Uh, it's, it's a tough watch, but it's, uh, it's worth it. Of uh, Memories of a great Australian who uh, was a rock star for international sport. 100%. So we're going to hear from Matt Williams and Shane Warren in just a moment, actually. The next episode of Virtual Insanity is on tomorrow. It is the Players' Championship, lads. I don't know if you enjoy that tournament um, this week. It's it's one of the best spectacles, because you remember that island green, the 17th, with the water and uh, a real test of nerves. And I think it's a very equitable tournament in that you've had some strange winners uh, in terms of unheralded players Fred Funk Stephen Ames and Craig Perks to the other extent where you've had Tiger Woods Phil Mickelson Rory McIlroy all winning it it's very much a level playing field I think Shane Larry is coming into the tournament in great form we can't forget him um, it's going to be a wet and windy week in Florida at Sawgrass but yeah um, I've already made my decisions and I'll reveal them tomorrow Excellent Alright looking forward to that otbsports.com forward slash virtual insanity that is uh, John Duggan P today you can read more from John on otbsports.com and you can uh, subscribe to the breakfast briefing every day wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to the highlights feed on uh, the OTB Sports app here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today OTB Gold is the life and times of Johnny Kilbane 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 he yeah he would have been called Kilbane wouldn't he Dadcast at three career retrospective is Andy Moran at four, OTB Gold tonight at six is Barry Ryan and the show is live with Joe from seven this evening. Uh, up next, we're going to hear Matt Williams paying tribute to Shane Warren and we're back talking football with Phil Egan after that. OTB AM. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, some comments for you, David. Some back in touch to say baseball is a herding of the masses to six hours of light beer and crappy music. And shame of rounders that they get paid millions for. And Jer, I grew up in Newbridge. South Carolina is pretty decent. <laughs> oh, it sounds heavenly. Uh, thanks very much for staying up for us this evening. Uh, Bobby says, Spurs were great last night, especially Kane, Doherty and Kulievsky. Huge game on Saturday. The It's Tottenham line is getting old 20 years later. We beat them 6-1 in this fixture last season. It's uh, Bobby, our resident Spurs fan. Yeah, 
getting pissed off with the it's Spurs Spursy lads it's Tottenham I thought I thought Roy Keane was going to go there on Sunday because he did mention what their next fixture was for Manchester United but even he couldn't bring himself to say it not anymore not anymore uh, why is there never discussion by sports journalists around the UFC when it is pushing women's sport better than most asks Michael well we did have the uh, two combatants who were um, in the uh, the, in the not the ring at the tree arena in the cage the octagon oh the octagon. sorry <laughs> thanks <laughs> Phil's here to, to save us yeah um Lots of LGFA clubs are combos of different GA clubs, says Paul. Healthy collaboration between local GA clubs will be the key to making LGFA merger a success. Yeah, I mean, divisional teams might be the way forward for um, strong women's teams, and then they'll get to share in the facilities from both clubs, and it'll improve both clubs. It's like a, you know, there's definitely ways forward here until they're both ready to have their own teams. Anyway, Phil, good morning to you. How are you? How are you doing, lads? Uh, the return of the uh, Champions League this evening um, uh, on the face of it two should be fairly straightforward results that we expect to go through but is there any way that Bayern Munich might not go through tonight? Uh, it'd be a major shock I, I know in the first leg Salzburg obviously were, were a goal up and they had a chance to go 2 nil up and they, they missed it and obviously Bayern got their equaliser you'd imagine Bayern will just be too good for them at home Um in terms of the Liverpool game, the fact that there's no away goals, can you see Inter winning by three goals tonight? It's very unlikely. I think Liverpool will try and get the... Obviously, the first goal is going to decide a lot, but if Liverpool do get the first goal, then I, I think Klopp would like to be in a position maybe where he'll be able to use... Well, he has his five subs, which he'll, he'll probably use. And that's pretty much what won him the first leg those changes in the second half at the San Siro three weeks ago and he, he talked about it yesterday as well saying that it's great that you can use your five subs obviously it's something that he keeps going on about that the Premier League haven't allowed this and um, he, he'd have one eye on the, the half 12 kickoff on Saturday against Brighton because if they could get an early goal maybe even get a second goal against Inter and get this done he can take off players the squad depth has improved so much and obviously they've got uh, players coming back as well so yeah I, I'd be very surprised if um, if Liverpool were knocked out tonight it's just a case of just keep things going I think one thing actually watching them the other day against West Ham there was a few hairy moments but just maybe at times the, the front three as good as they are just were taking the wrong option at times I, I think Diaz has been sensational since he came in and we talked about him at the time he was getting lined up for, for Spurs and when we looked at him we said you could see him fitting into the Liverpool front three on the left hand side and that's exactly what he's done I know he scored the goal against Norwich you just feel that if he scores a goal say in a big game like tonight you could have the real lift off for Diaz between now and the end of the season where every time he gets the ball he's going to shoot and, and score that's the only thing that hasn't happened yet the goals haven't come but he's just fitted in there so seamlessly it's um, does like to take shots doesn't he he does and he comes so close even against West Ham the other day there was one where you just thought it was going to curl inside the post but it just stayed outside so he has that where he cuts in you know what he's going to do but you just can't stop him are his new teammates happy for him always to shoot as often as he's yeah, shooting I, I think <laughs> I mean, there was definitely like. There, there was moments the other day, yeah. But they all were guilty of it. Jota had one later on in the game where he had come on and he fired one high and wide with his oh, left yeah. foot into the cop. That was going to be an amazing goal. 
So, and look, Salah is obviously an absolute machine in terms of goals. Why does he score so many goals? Because he has that streak in him where he when he gets passing. into position, yeah. he ain't passing, he's going to shoot. Uh, Fabinho was out doing press before tonight's game. He says that this team is better than the Liverpool team that won the title, won the Champions League. Is he right? I think so. I, I, I can see where he's coming from. Obviously, the, the squad is better as well. It'll be interesting to see if Thiago starts tonight. Now he's back from injury. Thiago is a sensational footballer, but at the moment, Liverpool just don't see him enough. And I think the, the League Cup final summed it all up for him, where you were looking at Thiago starting the, the Carabao Cup final, and then he's a late withdrawal, and in fairness, Naby Keita came in and did a really good job. And that's the, the frustration for Liverpool fans, is they watch this guy play, and he's unbelievable and he just hasn't been available enough. When he's available, Liverpool fans are parrying at the side of him, just running games. And look, people will look at his stats. I think Pep Guardiola touched on something interesting last week when he was talking about players. Sometimes you just have to look at them. You don't have to... I know stats play a very important role in, in football, and but sometimes stats, people can look at them too much, where surely your eyes don't lie. You just look at a player and think unbelievable footballer like when you look at Thiago it's rare he gives the ball away he can control the tempo of the game that's exactly why Liverpool bought him but unfortunately they just haven't had him available enough Thiago and Fabinho how many games do you think that they've lost while playing together for Liverpool? Zero you, knew, you read that already didn't you? But that's the thing and R- ruining the game Phil sorry, <laughs> sorry do it again uh, <laughs> Seven? I thought it was a quiz I oh yeah. No, actually, it's it's zero. Wow, uh, incredible, right? Never would have guessed that. Played each other, played together. How many times? I wonder. Is is, is this a, like? I mean, uh, as you pointed out there, the lack of availability has sometimes been a, a bit of an issue, but uh, it's still a pretty impressive stat. Yeah, and I think when Thiago's available, it's Fabinho, Thiago plus one, and at the moment it's Henderson. But I, I definitely think of all the units in the Liverpool squad and, and, and starting eleven, the midfield is the one where they'd have to add to in the summer. I think they could also do with what's worked really well this season for them. We didn't really get to see that much last season was Simicas. So he's been very uh, good. It's your mic, is it? Uh, that, was, that was my ears. Sorry, your mic is, is uh, playing up there. We might um, try and grab you a new mic. Uh, I was like, is there something wrong with my ears? Uh, but, yeah, but there probably is as well. It, yeah. could, it could be both. Well, you see the um, the latest research on COVID says that it's uh, damaging the brains of middle-aged people. So was it only middle-aged people I didn't I see? So. You're, oh, you're okay. in the clear. You're grand. Oh, thank God. Yeah, because you're like late 20s now. Yeah, exactly. And once you get to the, to the early 30s. Oh, maybe. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, a bit of a storm coming into your ears this morning, it seems. Um, oh, it's after the thunder yesterday, the storm today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so, yeah, no. So, do you think that's it? COVID, long COVID. That would explain a lot that's going on in my head at the moment. Have you got brain fog? Uh, yeah, uh, inability to remember names, words. Has that not always been an issue for you? I mean, look, Owen, what goes on behind the curtain was supposed to remain there. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. Showing yeah. how the sausage gets made. Nobody needs to see that. Uh, yeah, but it's worse. It's definitely more pronounced. Right. Well, just I hope you record. Is it like maybe it's a. Uh, Maybe maybe it'll just leave your brain eventually, COVID, and and you'll be fine. Look look at me speculating on science. Good man, like, yeah. like I know what I'm talking just about. Tweet that there, <laughs> and then go on a, a long period where you argue with everybody about it. Yeah, that would yeah, be it's good. good for your brain. I actually never did that during COVID. I never never felt the self confidence to do it, but 
Um, now the now the COVID's over. Yeah, now now, now, now I feel that I, 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 could, I could have the confidence to become a, a bit of a, a immunologist, an expert, an expert. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. All right. If anybody wants to get in touch, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty. How excited are the Liverpool fans out there? Is this team better than? I mean, Fabinho would know, but maybe that's what you have to say. Are they better, Phil? I think you might be back. I think I'm back. Am I? Yeah, you're am back. I'm back. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. But um, um, the one thing about the team being better now than then is that Van Dijk is not at World Footballer of the Year level, right? Which like however the rest of the team has improved and the strength and depth has improved and they've got you know they've added players in who are better than the subs they would have had then like Fertz van Dijk was the best footballer in the world he didn't win he should have uh, for a 12 month period they don't have that at the moment so they're I would argue not quite as good yeah but he's very close to it he's he's not far off at all and he's still I would say he's still going to have a chance of getting back to that because the injury like it was such a serious injury and he talked about just getting his confidence back um, mentally as well knowing that if somebody has a run at him that he has the, the legs and the, the the confidence to go with them and actually think back to the, the first leg a few weeks ago when Lotaro Martinez got the ball and he just Van Dijk was standing in front of him and he almost just Submitted and just turned away and said, "I can't, I can't take this guy on." But I think as well, what's what's complemented the Van Dyke as well. Obviously, Matip is now available, so the, that central defensive partnership. Even Kanate came in the other day against West Ham. I thought he was excellent because Antonio was a handful from, and there was one moment in the the first half of the game where the two of them were going full tilt, chasing a ball back towards the cop end, and. Kanata showed just how quick he is but no, Van Dijk's distribution is is still a, a key component in Liverpool's attack the way he can just spank a ball 50 yards and pick out Trent Alexander-Arnold out on the right or if it's Mo Salah so if he never gets back to his 10 out of 10 he, he might be a 9 or a 9.5 he's still the best centre half in the Premier League yeah, it doesn't feel like he's back at that level yet, and that's a fair point. Maybe he will get back to that, but there is a possibility that, I, that the injury took like a tiny bit away from him. I guess the the counter argument then is that Trent has got better, that Robertson's got better, that you know the supporting cast is 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 better. Yeah, absolutely. I, Alexander Arnold in particular, and uh, Robertson, and said so that that push that he's got off Simicast, knowing that there's an able deputy there and I think Liverpool just probably would, could do with that on the right hand side because if Trent Alexander-Arnold's not there they've obviously played Milner there before they've played Gomez Connor Bradley is an up and coming young player but just not at that level that yeah okay in the final 40 seconds is Frank Lampard taking Everton down what? I don't know what I'm looking at those fixtures it's a dangerous game when you play the will they won't they win but what they do have is they've seven home games left of their 13 and they've won five from 12 at Goodison they've only won one away game all season so their their home form if they stay up it's all down to that now looking at some of the home games the, the next two home games the Wolves and Newcastle games could decide a lot Wolves I watched that game earlier in the season where Wolves battered them in the first half in particular and then Newcastle so if they picked up a win from one of those two games then probably maybe on their way to avoiding relegation it's I, it's it's really what Burnley do but Burnley have that in them Burnley have a fight in them yes, do Everton do. have it? No Leeds lads telling you No, like it, yeah. 
there's there's there is a uh, slow car crash unfolding before our eyes. We will uh, await with bated breath the outcome. Feel good stuff. Thanks, many for that. Thanks, lads. Right, um, you want to get involved this morning? Oh eight seven nine one eighty. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. You can subscribe to the OTB Football feed. Search for OTB Football and hit subscribe if you want more. Are all indeed of our football coverage. Our post-match reaction from the Eddie Head of Brian Kerr, everything from the football show, the football Saturday this week, which was Jack Byrne, and all of those other football pieces as well. We've got football with Nathan Murphy and Graham Hunter on tomorrow's show. We're going to cross over to Palestine to hear about the Irish in Gaza who are building a gym. Much more as well. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.